Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the great rotation, and why one well-known market watcher says a massive rally into those so-called epicenter stocks is coming next week. We'll debate it with our investment committee. And joining me for the hour today is Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, Pete Nigerian, Liz Young, BNY Mellon's Director of Market Strategy and a CNBC contributor. Plus, Degas Wright is back, the Chief Investment Officer of Decatur Capital Management. Let's go right, though, to our special guest, Fundstrat's Tom Lee is back with us today. Tom, you never shy away from making predictions, and you're making another big one. Why next week for what you call a monstrous rally into your epicenter stocks? Hey, Scott. Yeah. um, Happy Friday. We took a look at what happened the last time cases peaked, which was late April, and how many days before the market sort of decided that it was actually improving and then made a big violent rotation into the cyclicals or what we call epicenter. It took 20 days last time. And if we look at the current context, daily cases peaked uh, July 27th. The 20th day would be August 14th. You know, we've been seeing consistent seven-day declines in average daily cases, but our clients are kind of thinking this is, you know, in the middle ground. They're not clear if it's a decisive move. So I think it takes another week, and that's going to happen next week, and I think it'll be a violent rotation. Really, and even you think people are ready to get out of these stocks that have been so tried and true. Um, NASDAQ closes above 11,000 for the first time yesterday. Clearly, money still wants to go into big mega-cap growth. Uh, Yes, I mean, I I think mega-cap growth is cheap as a bond proxy because you're paying 50 times for an investment grade bond, 180 times for a 10-year. So paying 30 times for FANG isn't expensive. But when you look at the cyclical stocks, these are the names that have been written off by the market. You know, it's only 26% of the market cap. They're trading at around 15 times forward, which is the same as an emerging market stock. And we're talking about blue chip U.S. names. And so I, I think that there is going to be a need for people to have exposure. And if they think the trend in cases is falling, and the economy is opening safely. And look at the jobs number today. We had, you know, we retraced 50 percent of the job losses. I think the economy is healthy. These cyclical stocks could rally big. Still, and it was over 30 percent in about two weeks. It was still, a massive rally. Still have a long way to go, though, in the jobs market. Right. Yes. Of course, we took a, a nice step in the right direction today. Yes. But, Tom, there was so much damage done and it's going to take a long time to get that back. Maybe you have to wait till a vaccine or otherwise. I'm not sure. Yeah, Scott, I mean, that's right. I mean, the economy is, you know, is, is a wreck. I mean, it's uh, there's a lot of carnage. It's the biggest depression, not in only our lifetime. It's probably the biggest depression the U.S. Ever, has ever experienced. But what we have to keep in mind is, like you said, there's a binary event. If, if we get a vaccine or a cure, a lot of the things that we think are permanent changes and risk to the economy really start to mitigate. And then again, that makes these stocks 
you know, vulnerable to a massive, massive upside re-rate. Look, you've been more right than wrong, and you deserve credit for that. And we're going to see. I mean, you're literally saying, literally, quite literally saying, next Friday is the day that you're going to get. And you use the word monstrous, not me. That's, that's your word. What names are we talking about, though, Tom? You're a broad market watcher, but you do uh, bring specific names to the table. What do our investors need to know? Yes, well, we published an updated list of this trifecta. So I talked to our head of global strategy, Brian Rauscher, and Rob Slimer, our technician, and Ken, who does our quant model. It's names like Pulte, Target, Best Buy, but it's also things like BorgWarner, you know, AutoNation, and, and potentially things like Mosaic, so some really deep cyclicals. It's going to be what we think a pretty broad-based rally, but, you know, what people probably perceive as high-quality companies that just got absolutely obliterated that could make a big bounce. Interesting. Liz Young, you get the first crack at Tom Lee today. What do you think about what he's saying here? It's a very bold prediction um, when it's, you know, maybe not that popular to make these kind of predictions, but he is. What do you think? I love a bold prediction. I, I have a question, though. You talked about valuations a lot and that that's going to drive some of this rally. I think we use the word rotation too much as an industry. And for it to really be a rotation, it means that money has to come out of one group and that same money has to go into another group. Do you think that's really what's going to happen here? Or is it more that there's cash still coming off the sidelines that will be overweighted into some of those epicenter names? Uh, yeah, there's, there's, it's probably a little bit of both. I, I think there is so much cash on the sidelines still. I mean, we can see it in the, in the sentiment readings. I can tell by talking to our clients, they're very cautiously positioned. And we see it in the money market balances. It's still around $5 trillion. I mean, a monster amount of buying power. But I think there could be a rotation to the extent that people have been hiding out in growth names. And there are some expensive growth stocks. I, I don't think FANG is what gets sold because these are companies that really survived a, tr a true stress test. They're unkillable. But I do think there's a lot of growth stocks that people are hiding in. And all of a sudden, if they think there's earnings revisions and a lot of growth coming from cyclicals, they could buy cyclicals. It's, it's interesting. Um, you talk about where positioning is, Tom, and how much money you, you say is, is on the sideline. And, and Steve Weiss, I'm looking at Bank of America's flow show, flow show note um, as we speak, and they say they saw the largest outflows from stocks in, in 11 weeks. So, Steve, what do you make of, of where Tom Lee thinks we could go maybe by next week? Um, and the fact that, you know, positioning still seems to be somewhat cautious, if not negative. Well, first on, on Bank of America, so the largest outflow in 11 weeks. And what happened since 11 weeks ago? We hit a new high in the NASDAQ. So you got to be very careful about looking at outflows and inflows. In terms of what Tom's saying, it's not exactly an undiscovered trade. Pulte Home has actually outperformed Amazon since the bottom. It's more than doubled. The housing index, which I own quite a bit of, has outperformed Amazon. Facebook, they've doubled from the lows. So it's not unknown. I admire Tom. I value his work. I think he has great insights. But let's be careful what we're saying. These are not stocks that have been left for dead. They're not groups that have been left for dead. They've actually done quite well. And I think basing all this on a vaccine is, you know, maybe appropriate towards the end of the year. Picking a point in time is a very, very gutsy call. But I will tell you this. 
nobody's going to abandon growth. With the trends that have been set in place, I would tell you the growth stocks are just going to grow faster. More advertisers will come back to Facebook. More people will shop as they go back to work on Amazon. So don't give up the growth stocks and don't go back to the ones that should be selling at a discount to the market because they're old line. So I'm stick with what I have. I have spread out some right. to take some of those stocks into the portfolio. Tom, but that's how I'm looking at it. They're not unknown. Tom, you can respond to Steve. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I agree. You know, 76% of the market cap of the index is growth. So you don't want someone to put all their money into epicenter stocks. But we think a lot of people have zero exposure. I mean, I think hedge funds are probably net short. I think a lot of managers have really been safer buying GARP and growth. So it's a, it's a truly under-owned group. But to give you some perspective, if, if these epicenter stocks just re went back to their March levels, which I'm not saying they will, that's going to add over 200 points to the S&P index. So we, we're talking about something that's about a quarter of the index accounting for a 200-point move if they just rebound. And as you know, a lot of the growth stocks are 10, 20, 30 percent above their February highs. Yeah. Jim Labenthal, I know you want in. Go ahead. Yeah, um, Tom, it, it probably is no surprise to my viewers, our viewers, that I'm completely in agreement with you. I want you to be right, okay? My portfolio has a lot of these stocks in it. However, here's what my concern is. You mentioned the data point of June when we got the rally uh, as things were getting better. At that point in time, in the middle of June, large cap growth was outperforming large cap value by about 20 percentage points year to date. Right now, it's outperforming by 33 percentage points, meaning that you got that rally, you got that wonderful cyclical rotation, and then you gave all of it back and more. So what is to stop that from happening? Let's say we get this cyclical rotation starting next week and you ride it for two weeks. What's to stop it from reversing? There's been so many head fakes uh, in, the last, in the last 10 years, so many head fakes of, of the cyclical rotation. All, all great points. Um, and that has been the fact. So, Tom, how do you respond to that? It's the easiest thing to come back to you with. Yeah, I hear you. You may be right, but you may be right for two yeah. weeks. That's right. I mean, I think there's that fool me once, fool me twice problem because cyclicals have had fits and starts. The economy's had fits and starts. And I think there's generally been a negative view of, of how COVID has really spread and how the administration's handled it. So I, I understand the caution. I think that's one reason why I know there's a lot of skepticism. I see it in the commentaries from, from our clients. You know, they still don't think that the case numbers have peaked despite the week over week massive declines we're seeing. So I think it's the bar is really high. Well, I mean, look, there, there's the a there... uncertain. But what I would say is. Go ahead, Tom. Forgive me. I, I, I thought you were finished speaking. But, it's but my, the credits my bad. have been acting really well. Oh, yeah. And I was just to say that the credits, you know, like if you look at the gaming casino stocks, their credits are in the 90s to 100. So the credit market is probably a bit more confident than the equity market on this trade working. Digas, you know, you, you have a lot of growth stocks. You have a lot of the ones that, that we're talking about at the very top for the reasons why the NASDAQ is at 11,000. Apple and Microsoft and Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook, uh, NVIDIA, Adobe. Um, now, granted, you do have names like McDonald's and Home Depot in your portfolio, but you've been leaning heavily on growth, it seems. Are you ready to change your tune right now? Well, Scott, what we're, we're looking at is that, and I'm going to go back to what Steve said earlier, I think in this market, you really have to select your uh, consumer discretionary names. As you said, we hold 
a Home Depot, we hold uh, McDonald's, we hold NVR, a home builder, because these companies have good profitability, good return on investment, the valuations are there, and then also they're doing things well within the community and they have the social license to operate. So we are going to focus not so much on the broad market, but being very selective when we go back into these companies that have been being down. Yeah. Pete, you know, it, it's interesting. There's a note from Bernstein today. They, they hear what everybody says about value and cyclicals. And, you know, I'm sure they've listened to Tom Lee make his case. And they say basically not so fast. Quote, we're converging on only one trade, and that is growth. Um, it's it's interesting. They say it'd be hard to argue that there there has to be a near term change in in leadership, likely that having a concentrated fund would be helpful to achieve outperformance. That's a worrying setup. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Where do you come down on, on this debate? Jim aptly pointed out that value has worked, but it's been fleeting. It's yeah. been 15 minutes of fame and that's it. Well, that's in some cases, but I think, uh, you know, and, and Tom easily pointed out right at the top when he talked about some of the names that could perform stock, Scott, he brought up a mosaic and a target. And you look at the movement that we've seen out of some of those stocks. Now, I think the reality is Liz points out the fact that it doesn't have to necessarily be a rotation. And what does rotation mean? It's overused and all the rest of it. There is so much money on the sidelines still. And it's the cautious side. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of folks who have definitely missed. So the fear of missing out comes into play. And so to Tom's point, uh, you know, Scott, I think if people d decided they wanted to go in with a little bit of both, right, you have, you have the much more conservative side, but then you want to have a little bit of growth. I could see this feeding into both. So I, I don't think that Tom by any stretch is wrong. I think he's actually pointing out something that's very right in front of each and every one of us, which is, hey, look, when we look at these all-time highs and I look at the material space and I look at gold and I look at silver and I look at all kinds of the, the SMH, you look over at the semiconductors, all of these are hitting highs. So it's not like it's just the power five. It's not that it's just tech. There's biotech. There's all kinds of other elements that are feeding into what we have seen in terms of this rally, including the NASDAQ, which has gone up towards 11,000 and then through it. But the reality is there's a lot more participation than gets talked about each and every day. And to Tom's point, I think it can spread over a little bit further and a little bit further more towards some of those conservative names that maybe hadn't performed as much but might have some upside. And Tom, look, the, the announcement from New York's governor that schools are going to be in person plays into the narrative that you're trying to sell that says that's why and examples like that are reasons why you have to be involved in these stocks now. Um, things may still be uneven, though. My question to you is how how long are you are you willing to wait um, to see if this trade works or not? Yeah, Scott, I mean, the problem with with our call so far is, you know, we've been early and, and early is wrong. So I, I'm quite nervous, you know, about uh, how investors are really very skeptical because at the end of the day, the market is smarter than any one of us. And so, you know, I might I must be missing something. So I'm quite nervous because if the cyclicals can't rally in the face of declining cases and we get better improving economic data, and then we get some news on the vaccine, then, then they're truly broken companies. And, and even credit 
would have been proven wrong because credit's been pretty strong relative to the equity. So I'm very, very nervous because, uh, you know, I don't want to think I know what the market should be doing. You know, the market's a lot smarter than me. Well, you made some good calls, though. Uh, as, as I said at the outset, um, you've been more right than wrong. Um, why don't we do this? Let's revisit this uh, next Friday. Let's see where we are. Let's see if that, that rally looks like it's about to happen or in the process of. And we'll see where we go from here. Tom, I appreciate your time, uh, as always. You have a good weekend. Great. Thanks. You too. All right. Thanks. That's Tom Lee joining us from Fundstraw. Guys, he, you know, Tom's not the only one talking about these, these names. Degas, you know, Jim Cramer's come out sort of with, with his so-called ghost stocks, if you will, uh, of, of stocks that will, in his estimation, do incredibly well as you get closer to a return to whatever level of normalcy we, we're able to achieve on the other side of this. Disney, PVH, Emerson, MasterCard, Nike, PPG, DuPont, Ralph Lauren, 3M, Union Pacific, Nucor. What do you think about some of those names? You own MasterCard, so I know you like that, but talk to me. Yeah, so we agree. You know, one of the things that we look for is that we're not just looking at a whole sector. We're looking at individual names. MasterCard is a great example. They're doing a lot of good things for profitability. They're in the top decile for what we look at for profitability for a financial company. Uh, they're doing well as it relates to the expectations. They're exceeding their, um, their earnings and sales. They're pushing forward with forecasts. The valuations are where we like to see them. And then the social license to operate, they're maintaining that by the work they're doing in the community. So we like names like that. So once again, we're going to focus on more, not the sector, but individual stock names. Yeah. Uh, Liz Young, what do you make of these? Look, I absolutely agree with Tom in the sense that we need the cyclical sectors to come in and show some strength here. What we want to see is that the market broadens out that strength. It does make me nervous when things are so narrowly led. But to Pete's point, it hasn't been as narrow as it was in the beginning. And I do think we're continuing to see a broadening out of strength. Some of the names that you have up on the board, maybe they're not the sexiest names in the market, but it would be nice to see them start to participate. And I'm, I'm optimistic that we will see some of those less sexy names actually start to take part here. And it's a good sign. Weiss, you know, I'm looking at the notes that you, you gave today. Uh, and, and you say, why would you own any of these stocks, uh, you know, around Kramer's sort of go list? But you did buy Disney. Yeah, I bought Disney. And this is why I'm such a faithful viewer of the halftime report. When you started mentioning that Loeb was in Disney yesterday, I thought it'd be a great trading opportunity. Stock wasn't going to go down that news. So I bought it and I've sold most of it. Uh, still have a tag end. To me, Disney is not that undervalued. They've got major challenges ahead. They're bleeding money on the parks. I don't see that changing. So is it a ghost stock when a virus vaccine happens? Absolutely. But some of the names on Jim's list are just not great performers before COVID. They're definitely not going to be great performers after COVID. I point to DuPont. I point to 3M, which is a pure commodity company. So why would I want to own those? But you don't think you Nike find you, value you, you in don't other think, names. You don't think Nike's going to be a good performer? You don't you don't see sort of industrial or you know things like Emerson or PPG, for example. Um, if, if there's a, a willingness to spend more on a retail, why not Ralph? Why not PVH? That doesn't seem so far fetched to me. I, I don't view Ralph as anywhere near Lulu, which I own in the retail space. I think Ralph is sort of like 
old economy, old dress. And we're not going to see Ralph again. Ralph was a, a very challenged performer over the last few years, and that's going to continue. So I'm not looking to buy stocks that were poor performers going into COVID, hoping something better happens to them after, because I think that's pure folly. Nike is a great stock, but I don't regard Nike as particularly cheap. And by mm -hmm. the way, it's not that far off. It's all-time highs. So I don't think that's a go stock in terms of it's also going to hit the jets and go after we get the vaccine. It's interesting. There are other better values there. Pete, you think Nike's overpriced too? Yeah, I'm with Steve on that because when you look at it and somebody could say to me, well, Pete, uh, Lulu trades at a higher multiple. They, that's true. But the reality is you start looking forward and you start looking at growth and you start looking at where was this company going into the pandemic? Where was it coming out as we get closer, hopefully, to some sort of an out from the pandemic? How are things going to change? Are people going to change what they're doing, Scott? We talk about this every single day, right? Zoom has changed the world. So if that's the case, then casual clothing is going to change even more so. People are going to get even more towards that sort of thing. So I, I look at Lulu as a very, it's, it's somewhat expensive, but the growth is there. And they haven't even really scratched the surface yet of the international growth potential that they could have, as opposed to Nike, who's, we know how global they are. We know how well that they do in China and other places. But it just feels to me like it's overpriced. It, it, it's trading at a P.E. level that you have never seen before in Nike. So because of that, I'd rather go to something like a Lulu, like Steve and I are talking about. We own it. I, I've owned it for a very long period of time. I have no intention. I, I don't, I'm not even sure what news would come out that would actually have me say, you know what, I need to take this off. Because I think going into the future, especially e-commerce, menswear, all of the different categories that they can go to along with the international, I think there's a lot more runway in front of Lulu right now, especially if you want to compare it to Nike. Well, I'm not telling you to take anything off. I, mean, I don't think the suggestion necessarily is take no. something off of Lulu. <laughs> but if you think we're getting a right. vaccine, and I think the spirit of Kramer's list is vaccine and beyond you may want to take money out of something else and put it into one of his so-called ghost stocks let's say if you have a stock that has been a covid winner and you get a vaccine you may want to take some money out of one of those stocks and put it into the go list no no there's, no, there's no doubt about it. You'd want to put it into some part of the goal list. I don't know that I'm with I'm with Steve a little bit on this in terms of I don't know that that's my goal list, though. I think there might be other names out there. Tom Lee talked about a couple of those names. He talked about a target. He talked about Mosaic. Those are names that I own already. I like those names. And I do think there's more upside, especially when we get past and we start to see maybe some light with the vaccine and all the rest of it. But that also feeds into Steve's point about Disney. I mean, Disney does make total sense. Right now, you're just riding on streaming and you're waiting for a vaccine for all of the other entities that they need to have work in the right way. So right now, you're kind of basically on a hope strategy when we get that vaccine. And we don't know the timeline for that. So that's what makes that a little bit more of a dangerous play. But I still like Disney. I think they do a great job, and they've always had great management. So, Jim, you know, if you want to hey, add Scott, a name... Yeah, quick, Weiss, what? Can I, let me just make one point. My point is the vaccine, when it comes, is not going to be a vaccine for bad companies or companies that underperform pre-COVID. It's going to be a vaccine for COVID. You take a look at UPS or FedEx that are coming out of this stronger. Why? Because that behavior of buying online has been much stronger. So these companies, which were challenged before, now are able to raise price. They're stronger. That strength will continue. Jim Labenthal, you, you have something you can add to the list, and it's Dover. You bought it. Yeah. So 
Look, you look at this list and you see the industrials. Industrials are starting to come back. So he's got Emerson Electric. I've got Dover. Um, you know, PPG is in somewhat in the housing market. I got Sherwin-Williams. That's running. Here's the thing. I like this list, Scott. But if you really think a vaccine is coming and you think you're getting back to normal, then my question is, where's the financial stock on here? Why isn't Goldman Sachs on here? Um, why isn't Bank of America on here? Or if you really want to be provocative, and you know I like to be provocative, where's an energy stock? <laughs> if, you think, if you think we're getting back to normal because a vaccine is coming, and God, I hope so, why isn't Chevron Texaco on here? Well, I mean, back to normal is all relative. I mean, what is normal going to be? Yeah. R interest rates, I mean, you got a 10-year at 53 basis points, something like that? Rates are going to remain the, the, low for a long period of time, whether we get a vaccine or not. Are remember we all... the Goldman Sachs article. What? Remember the Goldman Sachs article from yesterday. And this is the thesis. I'm not saying they're right or wrong. I'm saying this is the thesis, that if you get a vaccine, you're actually going to get a return to normal. That is a thesis. We don't know right now whether it's true or not. But what I'm saying is, if that's in your playbook of a vaccine cures ills, I'm not saying go buy some crummy shale producer or buy some, you know, regional bank. But at the top of those sectors, at the big money center banks or the big super major integrated oils, if you want a vaccine play, that's where you're going to get the bang for the buck. Pete, you have several moves that you made, and I don't want to gloss over them. Can you tell us a little bit about, so you, you bought the metals and mining ETF. We obviously know, yep. you know, gold and yep. silver has been off to the races. And I'm assuming that that's the Unreal. play. Yeah, that's, that's definitely the play. And when I saw the unusual option activity we saw yesterday in there, Scott, I immediately jumped on it. Now, I, I usually like to steer clear of the ETFs, but this specific one just covers absolutely everything. I don't have a lot of ETF exposure, which is pretty common, but I like this name. And the size of the trade that I was seeing there made a lot of sense for me to jump on top of it because I do like the metals. I do like a lot of these mining companies. And we've talked about GLD. We've talked about gold. We've talked about silver. Yesterday, I had the SLV for unusual option activity. That thing was absolutely on fire, continued to be on fire, and they bought even more going into the close. So uh, that's an area that I think still has plenty of upside as people are sort of navigating through all of what we've been talking about for the first half hour or so, which is, you know, where do you put your money? Where are you going to do this? Where are you going to do that? It seems to me that a lot of folks, because of that, have started to put more and more towards gold and silver. Degas, what's the most recent stock that you bought and why? Yeah, so, and this goes back to the uh, consumer discretionary. We bought Ross Soares, uh, with the concept being is that as the recovery gets further along, these types of retail stores will make a recovery. Once we started looking at the various uh, options out there for us or selections, we said that Ross has a very solid uh, profitability profile. Uh, it was in top decile for our profitability for retail stores. We looked at the expectations. Expectations were pulled back a little bit uh, given where we are in the COVID, but we're looking for that to be improved going forward. And then also valuations. We really like uh, Ross stores valuations. So this is upon that play that we were talking earlier with Tom about is that you have to select where you're going to put your dollars as it relates to retail stores. And we really like uh, the Ross and, the, and they're maintaining the social license to operate. So that's an example of a placement that we feel really good about in the retail space. Which is why, Pete, why does it have to be a, what it sounds to me? Um, I, I know I'm going to be a, a little over the top in the way I ask this, but Lulu yeah. or bust, right? There are, can't there be yeah. other retail winners 
beyond Lulu. I, I get that people may be working from home longer, but it doesn't necessarily mean right. that everybody's wearing Lululemon every day, all day for the rest of their lives, no. or the stock would be up like 8 million percent. I mean, right? There's got to be other winners right. out there. No. Well, you, you really do make a great point, and I, do, I agree with that. But if I'm going to have one of my stocks that I'm going to continue to ride that trades at a PE multiple that's extremely high and they still have growth, that's the one that I'm going to select. I'd rather have other names like a TJX, like a Ross Stores, all kinds of different other names that I'd rather be in that trade at better multiples. I'm just comparing those two because the multiples are so close, and yet I think Lulu has far more growth in front of it. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We've got our call of the day. On FedEx, shares are up big in three months. A new bullish call out today. We'll debate that coming up next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. We're back. Let's go to Sue Herrera, who has the headlines for us. Hi, Sue. Indeed, I do, Scott. Thanks very much. Here's what's happening at this hour, everyone. More than 160,000 Americans have died of the coronavirus. This, as Florida reports another 180 new deaths today. The University of Washington predicts the death toll could hit nearly 300,000 by December. You can go to CNBC.com to see how many lives could be saved if nearly all Americans wore masks. Canada says it will impose tariffs on U.S. aluminum products worth $2.7 billion. The move is in retaliation to the U.S. yesterday reimposing tariffs on Canadian aluminum goods. And in India, a plane with 191 people on board skidded off the runway and split into two. The plane was trying to land in heavy monsoon rains. Local news reports say some injured have been hospitalized, but details on other casualties not yet available. Still a developing story there. You are up to date. That's the news update. Scott, back to you. All right, Sue. Appreciate that very much. Have an update as well on where stimulus talks stand down in Washington. Let's get to Elon Moy there for more. Hi, Elon. Hi, Scott. Well, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi offering some new details of the Democrats' offer in these relief talks. She said that Democrats had offered to come down by about a trillion dollars on the overall size of the bill. Democrats had wanted a $3.4 trillion bill. That would take the price tag down to closer to $2 trillion. She said Democrats could achieve that by changing the timeline for when certain benefits expired. But she said that the White House rejected that offer. Uh, Minority Leader Senator Chuck Schumer said that he should have seen their faces, their rejection was vehement, and they blamed the White House for potentially blowing up this deal and threatening to walk away last night. Now, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin and Chief of Staff Mark Meadows are slated to meet with Pelosi and Schumer perhaps in the next half hour to hour or so. The Democrats said they will make that same offer again of coming down by a trillion dollars. We'll see if it's enough to move the needle. Scott. Elon, appreciate that update. Thank you, Elon Moy, for us. Let's talk about FedEx now. We mentioned those stock, uh, that stock has surged 50 percent over the past three months. And today, Stevens, that firm naming it its best idea for the remainder of this year. They also raised the price target to a now street high of $215. Degas, I'll begin with you because you own the stock. So what we see in this $44 billion uh, company, uh, global uh, package delivery, the one thing is challenged profitability. Uh, it has some difficulties with the cash flow and return on investment. But what we really like is the expectation. 
ultimately what's happening is that people are working from home. They're, they're obviously ordering, mailing things. But what's going to happen as people go back to work, they'll start using that courier system again. Also, when the virus comes out, it's going to have to be delivered. And so these type companies will really benefit from that. And then lastly, the impact of the Postal Service. And so we really like the expectations. We're seeing it had a big surprise in June. And also it's going forward with good earnings and um, revenue. We like the valuation. It's slightly undervalued at these levels. And then lastly, they're maintaining their, their social license to operate, what they're doing with business owners, what they're doing for the safety of their employees, and also the sustainability projects uh, with their airline and also with their vehicles. So we really like this company, and that's one of the reasons we hold it in our U.S. ESG enhanced strategy. Okay. Uh, let's set up a debate then, because I think we have one. Pete? Uh, and Weiss, both you yeah. both prefer UPS. Pete, tell me why. Well, when you just look at the last quarter, Scott, it was absolutely extraordinary. They beat in a big way when you look at their revenue. They did it in terms of the package growth is unbelievable. They're in the small package side of things. E-commerce, they're doing everything right. And you look at their international operating margins, those are strong as well. So I'm not saying that, that FedEx or, or UPS, I chose UPS a while back because of the differences of, of those two companies, a little bit more on the ground side with uh, UPS. I just prefer that name, and I think it actually has even more upside. It's been on an absolute tear, Scott. We saw it after earnings, and take a look at it today. The stock is definitely moving in the right direction, and I think Carol Tomei is doing a great job as the CEO. Steve Weiss, you? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I bought UPS over FedEx. I had owned FedEx in the past, but I thought UPS management had was slightly better, number one. Number two, it had a great yield. When I bought it, it was over 4%. It's still just under 3%. And with FedEx distancing themselves from Amazon, that gives UPS pricing power there. So I think UPS overall is just a better call. But you're not going to go wrong owning FedEx either. Degas, last word to you. Yes, once again, I think Steve said it. UPS, FedEx, we obviously have a heavier weight to FedEx. And so we feel strongly about that. I think it's well positioned because also the international aspect of FedEx actually brings a lot more value to the table when you compare it to UPS. Degas, we'll see you again soon. I appreciate you being Thank with you. us. You have a good weekend. We'll you talk to you now. down the line. That's Degas Wright joining us. All right. Let's bring in Rahel Solomon now. She's tracking a number of stocks moving uh, on earnings. Hi, uh, Rahel. Hi, Scott. So let's start with Dish. The earnings call is actually happening right now. We're watching for any major headlines there, but we can tell you that the stock is up. After a better than expected quarter, last I checked, it was up about 3%. 2.5% now. Uh, Scott, one stock that is not doing well is Datadog. That is down almost double digits, more than double digits, in fact, close to 15%. That said, it's been a big winner in the stay-at-home trade, up more than 100% year-to-date. And some analysts think there is even more room to run, both Needham and Credit Suisse raising their price targets today, year-to-date up about 103%. Dropbox also under pressure. So the company did benefit from increased demand amid the work-from-home trend, with the CEO saying in the last hour here on CNBC that he expects part of that shift to remain even when things return to normal, Scott, whatever normal will be in the future, as you just talked about. And Uber down more than 5%, on pace to snap a five-day winning streak. CEO Dara Khosrowshahi also saying on CNBC this morning that the recovery for their rides business, it's a bumpy one, although Uber Eats is growing at, quote, unprecedented rates. Uh, Scott, quite a big day for CEO interviews on CNBC. I'll send yep. it back to you. Yep, as usual. All right, Rahel, appreciate that very much. Thank you. Pete, all right, you're in Uber. Yeah. Dropbox. Yes. Dish. Yes. Talk to me. 
Yes. <laughs> I've, I own calls in all three of those, Scott. So the dish calls, they, they actually make me feel pretty good today. But obviously, Uber and Dropbox, that's why I'd rather be in the options because these stocks I know, especially let's take a look at Uber. So you're looking at a company that at some point in time will start to make money. They haven't been able to make money yet. So at some point in time, I think I'll be much more excited about this. And as they continue to evolve their business, obviously Uber Eats, a major contributor on the positive side finally, but you're still looking at a company that's going to have to deal with this. This is one of those stocks, I think, that would fall into that category of we find any kind of vaccine, that's going to be a monster for Uber. It's going to be a monster for Lyft and those kinds of names. But until that time, those numbers are going to continue to be depressed. So unfortunately, those options are going to go out worthless. But the beautiful thing about the options market is you know your risk reward going in. You know exactly how much you can lose, which is what you paid. That's it. So at that point in time, so I'm looking at those kind of names and, and Uber, unfortunately, not doing well. Dropbox not doing well. And on the other side, Dish having a little bit better day. Yeah, gotcha. All right, we'll take a quick break. Come back. Unusual activity on deck. We'll get Pete's latest trades there. First, though, we'll get you a check on the S&P sectors right now. S&P has just moved back positive. Utilities the best, energy the worst. Half time's back right after this. Mr. Show, don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast. Market moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app and subscribe to the Halftime Pod today. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. It is time to answer some questions. Pharma Jim, you are up first from Brandon in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm 24 years old. Have roughly 10,000 to invest. Do you recommend putting a couple thousand into a few stocks or a few hundred into a basket of stocks? Good question. What's the answer? 
Brandon, I love that you're doing this. 24 years old, $10,000. Great, great. Here's what you do. Take half of it and put it into spiders, okay? I want you in the market in general to see how the market moves. Take the other 5,000. Find three or four stocks that mean something to you, that you want to learn how stocks individually move, and you will if you invest in those stocks. Make sure they're stocks for companies that you know and you like their products. All right, good stuff there. Steve Weiss, Dominic in Cleveland, Ohio, wants to know about Micron. Is it a good buy as an alternative uh, to an expensive AMD? Actually, they're two completely separate companies, and too often people get confused or like to lump semis all into one another. Micron's been down because of of memory being down, as we saw with Western Digital. So I like Micron in outright. I think it is a cheaper stock, and I own it, didn't sell any, looking to buy some more if it gets lower into the low 40s. All right, Pete Stewart, Chicago. What's your thought on LVS, Las Vegas Sands? Yeah, I bought this one, Scott, thinking that there was going to be all kinds of upside. There hasn't been. It's basically been flatlined since a small, minor recovery since the uh, March lows. So I continue to hold on to it for now. I continue to sell calls against it. But I'm definitely disappointed right now, at least in the early results. And I think at some point in time, it's going to start moving back up to the upside. I, I like this particular area, the casinos. But unfortunately, there's a lot of pressure still on these guys. But I think as long as you're willing to hold it for that nice break to the upside, I think it's well worth it. All right, Liz, to you. Benjamin in Massachusetts. Should we be bearish on bonds? Uh, if you're looking for bonds to produce return above equities, yeah, you should be bearish on bonds. But if you're looking for them to produce a correlation benefit, stay in them. You can get a nice income kick out of investment-grade corporates. And even in the high-yield space, there's a decent amount of default risk priced in. So I'm a little more comfortable there than I was three months ago. Okay, round two. The Farmer, you're up again. Jalen in Atlanta. How do you see Caterpillar stock performing in the near future? In the near future, there's nothing to indicate it's going to go up or down big. This is a longer-term play, and that's how you have to be in Caterpillar. You have to think about onshoring of supply chains and a multi-year economic recovery that should put this stock back up above 160 in a year or so. Steve Weiss, Kevin in Chicago, Illinois. What is Steve Weiss's recommendation on Insego? Is it a hold after this drop on earnings? It sure is a hold. Revenues were up 66%. They're exactly where you want to be. Private 5G networks. More than half the NFL stadiums have private networks. Pretty soon all will. That's where it's going to be and that's where they play. So I would buy it here for sure. Pete, Spence in Florida. Any comment on letter X, U.S. Steel? Yeah, I, I, I do think there's some upside there, Scott. I like the metals. I like Specifically, I'd prefer actually copper, gold, and silver, but I do have a position right now in some of the calls in U.S. Steel. I think there's upside. I don't know what sort of time frame, though. We haven't seen a huge move yet, but I think it's worth holding on to. All right, and finally, Liz, Curtis in New Jersey, how would you leg into the market now? Uh, what basket of securities, ETFs, or other funds would you recommend? So that's a question about what my go list is on the recovery or a vaccine. And that would be industrials, consumer discretionary, healthcare, and Europe. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Coming up, Pete's Unusual Activity. That's coming up next in just two minutes. All right, we are back. Uh, welcome back, in fact. And uh, among those reacting to today's jobs report is BlackRock's bond king, Rick Reeder, uh, who has just tweeted a number of things about it, which is why we've reached out to him and he is on the phone. Rick, welcome. 
Hey, Scott. How are you? Thanks I'm, for having me. I'm good, thanks. Um, you know, we reached out to you because I'm noticing your tweets here, and, and you sound a little bit tepid about sort of where we are. Quote, the report shows the pace of job gain acceleration has now slowed markedly, and it is our best guess that the rapid rate of return to work will now exhibit a very deliberate pace of rebound from here. You mentioned some of the sectors in leisure and hospitality, entertainment, and things like that. Just give me your overall view of what we got today and what it means. Sure. I mean, actually, part of it was today's report was pretty good in some sectors relative to what what we originally thought, uh, markets thought, what you would get. And particularly in some areas like like restaurant, et cetera, some of the bounce back has been has been uh, a bit quicker than uh, than you would even think. But, you know, one of the things when you so you think about where we're going to go from here, that that pace of recovery is going to now some of this has to do with, with you know what you get in the stimulus. Presumably we're going to get some stimulus. A lot depends on what we get on vaccine. But if you don't get something significant, we are going to see a slowdown from here in terms of that rate of recovery. The rate of recovery has been pretty rapid in the last couple of months and uh, in employment. And, and it's one thing that's really important. What companies are realizing is, A, you've got a more uncertain environment going forward. You've got to be really thoughtful about your costs. The only way to maintain your margins is you've got to be really careful about, about your cost structure from here. And a lot of businesses are realizing you can operate virtually and be successful operating virtually. And, uh, and some, of that, some, of that, what, some of those workers that intended to come back or the intention to bring back you know, maybe a bit more deliberate from here. And by the way, we think the economy is actually in pretty good shape, but the pace of employment may lag actually how the economy does from here. So then if you have somebody like Tom Lee, who we had at the very top of our program, and I'm not sure if you had a chance to listen to our conversation or not, who makes a recommendation that now's the time to go into cyclical names, how do you parse that if you think the economy can do reasonably well, but the job market is going to remain relatively stunted. You need people to have jobs, to have money to spend for those stocks to, to work. And if businesses are going to be a little more skittish in spending, am I going to want to own industrial stocks, for example? How are we supposed to think about that then? It's actually a great question. And it, well, it's actually his point, I actually think is a really good point. And what's ironic about what's happening now versus anything we've ever seen before, as you think about this, job recovery is going to be slow. We could end the year with the unemployment rate that's still in around 9%, maybe a bit lower than that. And it's going to be very sticky to bring it down from here. So then you think about so what happens. A, if you believe there's more stimulus that comes in, again, you believe there's more vaccine that comes in, you can actually have an economy that's operating pretty well where, where employment is longer to recover. It also means you've got a Federal Reserve who's got a dual mandate of full employment and price stability. That's going to be... Uh, certainly on hold with regard to rate, and I actually think they're going to do more in terms of asset purchase uh, because largely because the Treasury is going to have to issue more uh, from here to fund fund uh, the existing stimulus, let alone the additional stimulus. So I actually think you can have a dynamic where the equity market, and including cyclicals, can actually perform reasonably well while the job recovery is a bit muted. By the way, you look at it in some sectors like housing, and even the consumption data uh, across retail, across autos, I think it's actually pretty good. And uh, you know, will it moderate a bit from here potentially? But I actually think it's not. Well, the point he makes is, uh, is it, it's just a very strange point in time where the jobless recovery could take a bit longer 
um, but the economy broadly can actually can actually perform reasonably well. Interesting. So the economy can perform reasonably well. The stock market can do reasonably well. The Fed's going to get more engaged, which tells me that you think that yields are still going to remain pretty low. I, I don't know if 10 years at 56 yeah. basis points is your answer. You tell me. Um, but is that the dynamic? There's there's no pressure to to lift rates because That's the right. Fed's going to get more engaged. That's right. I mean, the uh, by the way, I don't think that find the ten year note a ten year note a particularly compelling instrument today. But what it does is it keeps. If you think about what equities are, particularly what cyclical equities are, there's so much focus on the next quarter's earnings and and. But when you bring the discount rate down and you keep it down, and this is something we you, know, you very rarely see in time, when you say you're going to keep the discount rate down on long-durated assets, which are which equities are, what you do is you create a, a, a potentially significant increase in, uh, in what your multiple should be and where you're more reliant on, it's not necessarily this quarter's earnings, but what are what are earnings going to be over the long term? And this Fed, I mean, look at where two-year, two-year forward rates are in treasuries. And so, you know, where are treasuries going to be two, three, four years hence? And they're still pretty darn close to zero. If that's right, and you think about you're trying to generate return, if you're a pension fund, you're an individual, um, the dynamics around where equity can be lifted, and I think surprise people if uh, if that interest rate stays down for an extended period of time. And the Fed is going to, you know, they, they can't be any more clear about uh, about how vigilant they're going to be with That's regard right. to their mandate. They're not even thinking about thinking about thinking about. Are you thinking about thinking about thinking about negative rates? <laughs> uh, no, not today. I don't, I don't think. I mean, it, the economy would have to get significantly worse. For them to go down the negative rate path, it's not impossible, but I think it's pretty darn low. I mean, the Fed's articulated well that forward guidance, i.e., we keep rates down for a long period of time until probably, and they're probably going to be more specific until around the average rate of inflation over a period of time is is target, and they're not they're not even at it yet or close to it yet. And then the other being asset purchases, they've got people underestimate they've got a lot of room of what they can do in terms of asset purchases. I think those two tools are the ones they're going, to, they're going to utilize well before they ever consider negative interest rates. Yeah, we'll see. Rick, I so much appreciate you calling in, helping uh, us pleasure. make some more sense of all this. We'll talk to you again soon. That's BlackRock's Rick Reeder. Let's do the futures outlook now. Silver and gold under some pressure today, but have been much higher as investors have turned to the precious metals for safety. Let's get to Jim Urio of TJM Services and Jeff Kilberg of KKM Financial. Uh, Financial. Jim Urio, you're up first. What happens from here? Uh, What's the question? What's going to happen from here? Uh, Anyway, gold made a new high last night and then reversed quickly, making a lower low. To me, this is a big deal technically. You know, it's a key reversal. What I'd ultimately like to see is it trade below today's low on Monday. And I think we'll see that too. Fundamental picture hasn't changed at all. This is just about sentiment and about technicals. I think between 2000 and 1980 is where it goes on the downside. 1987 is the 0.382 retracement that it, from the move that began on July 7th. I think it goes down to there. I'll be probably buying more at that point because the fundamental picture is just too compelling. Jeff Kilberg. Well, it's interesting, Scott. Certainly gold, that's the precious metal that Jimmy loves, and he expresses that love for gold in his vast array of pinky rings. But what we're seeing in silver, the higher beta trade, up nearly 65% year-to-date, 
We've seen most of that move in silver just in the last three weeks. So to Jimmy's point, I agree. The fundamental move in the precious metals there, but silver's gonna be interesting because it kissed $30 last night. And it seems to be wanting to go back up and touch 30 and go to 35. All right, good stuff, gents. Have a good weekend. We'll see you on the other side. We'll take a break. We'll do final trades straight ahead on the half. All right, Pete is tracking unusual options activity for us. Pete, what do you have for us today? Well, I'm going to start off with Snap, which we've done many times before, but take a look at what Snap's doing and Facebook in reaction to TikTok right now. So Snap, when it was trading just underneath $22 a share, Scott, they bought 17,000 of the August 22 and a half calls. They were going for about 60 cents. So that was a really big buy. That happened early in the session. And so I like this one. This goes out about two weeks. I'll hold on to it. Hopefully we get a nice spike to the upside. Second one is Jumaya. Now, I've never seen this stock before. Jumaya Technologies is e-commerce out of Germany, but it's for e-commerce of Africa. So what we're seeing there is really unusual because they're buying the August 30 strike calls. Stock was trading 18 and a half or thereabouts. So they're buying the August 30 calls, looking for something big. They do have earnings next week, so maybe that's the sign. But they bought about 4,000 of those, very aggressive buying. I'm in that one as well, and I'll be it probably through earnings, maybe two weeks. Good stuff. Thank you, Pete, for that. Uh, Liz Young. Yep. Final yep. trades. You are up first. Europe right now. I, I would buy European equities. Believe in the global recovery. If you're putting new money to work, the valuations are attractive. Stimulus and a weaker dollar, just further tailwinds. All right. Thank you for being with us today. You have yourself a good weekend. Farmer Jim. Farmer Jim, next is you. Uh, Okay, Scotty, Judge. Uh, CVS, Charlie Victor Sierra, they had a really good earnings report. They beat and they raised. They have a pattern of doing that. Stock really hasn't responded. I think it will in the near term. That's my final trade. All right, Steve Weiss. XPO is my worst final trade of my career a week ago. I think it's coming back. It's my go trade. Okay. You're, all right, good stuff. Pete Najarian, last but certainly not least, what do you have for us? Yeah, I'm looking and I'm seeing some activity out there in Salesforce. They're going all the way out to November, which is unusual. Everything's been real short term. Yep. I like this one. I think Salesforce goes higher. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. <laughs> 